the summer before my senior year in high school, I wanna, went on a mission trip to Mexico. Uh, and I'd been on a few mission trips before, but something was different about this mission trip. Uh, the, some other like denominations and stuff talk about like having a mountaintop experience, right? The idea that uh, something like you experience God in a unique way. And there wasn't anything necessarily that special about what we did on the trip. We had uh, some opportunities that were really cool. We were able to uh, help build a home for a family who was kind of living in, in a much more uh, needy type of situation. And so we were able to construct a, a foundation and walls and a roof that was much more uh, able to, to care and protect them from the elements that they could live in. And uh, we had an opportunity to serve some kids and, and have fun and, and play games with them and share the love of Jesus with them. And, and these were experiences that in, in a mission trips world really aren't that unique, right? Like maybe you've experienced some of those things, maybe you haven't, uh, but maybe you've seen someone who's done that on Instagram. Uh, and the reality is while those experiences like from the outside weren't that unique, I had this experience internally that was just special to me, right? It made an impact on me. It made such an impact on me that uh, when I started my senior year, I had one of my teachers kind of give us this assignment where we had to answer some questions about things that happened uh, over the summer. And one of those was just that. It was like, what had an impact on you this summer? What did you do? And I wrote like paragraphs about this mission trip and I went to public school. Like we didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't pray before class, no one was asking me about my mission trip, but this was just something like I couldn't hold it in. And so when this question came, I had to tell her who probably didn't like have any interest in reading that or ever, but that's what I had to say because that was the way that it impacted me. And that was the way that uh, God and, and something in the way that he'd worked was stirring in me so that I could tell others what had happened. And then a year later, uh, I got ready in, to go to ASU and I moved to Tempe. And it's okay, GCU students, it's still a good school. And, and I moved to Tempe and, and it took me like no time at all to start spending so much time at parties on Saturday night that I never went to church on Sunday mornings. It didn't, it didn't take very much time to go through that transition, right? From this mountaintop moment where God is what I want to live for to like, yeah, this is like really fun. This is just like the college experience. This is what I'm seeking after. That's the decisions that I had to make each week, in and out. And the reality is we're all faced with those decisions, right? And, and it's not just college students, right? We're faced with those decisions every day. We have decisions uh, before us that some of us uh, have in common, right? Should we, should we continue to go, like, go get drunk at happy hour with our coworkers, or should we go home and hang out with our family? Right, something very similar to that, but also something very different. Right? Should we cheat on our taxes? Because those are due in a couple of weeks. Just a reminder. Right? Should we do something else? Right? Should we continue to uh, should we continue to just seek after the things that are going to satisfy us in the way that we think, or should we try to focus and put something more tangible, more uh, godly in our lives? And that's what we should focus on. Right? There, there's these temptations that are before us, these decisions that are before us, and how we live our lives. Right? That's what we're trying to talk about. That's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. As we, we're two weeks out from finishing it, we've come to this conclusion where, where Solomon is going, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless because you know what? The righteous live righteously and they still suffer. The, the wicked live wickedly and they seem to prosper. There is things that you should do in your life, but those may not work out. There's things you shouldn't do in your life, but sometimes those do work out. Like, and then everything is meaningless because the people that should be enjoying life, should be feeling free, should be, they're going to die. Everybody dies, 
right? That's what Tim talked about last week, right? Is that there's something imminent about death. And, and you might know that because you've had someone that you care about pass away, right? A, a loved one, especially in our, in our culture, we're very blessed. A lot of times it's, it's an older person. It's a grandparent that, that is our first experience of death. But, but sometimes it's, it's not. Sometimes it's a friend. Maybe even more recently, it's been a friend, but the reality is, is that that's coming for all of us. And that's what Tim talked about. And the response that Solomon gives us in, in that passage from last week is don't. sweat. Maybe they're just glistening from all the perfume they're wearing. But like, that's the thing that I recognize as, as when I think about this is like when I put cologne on in the morning, like I want my wife to smell me and say, mm, that's nice. Right. When I bring her in and then give her a hug goodbye, like she likes the way I smell because of that cologne. That's what it's supposed to do. Right. It's supposed to smell good. And this image starts with this, this sense in which this uh, flies have gotten to, into this ointment and, and drowned and died. Imagine just putting that on and that, that aroma just comes up. It's the right thing and then it's. To me, right? This comparison the outside, right? You can look like everything's going the right way. You can look like you're doing the right things and yet you're seemingly on the right path and and other people, they can tell from the outside that you're not, right? You think like I'm, I'm walking down this road 
It's, it's a straight path. I know the direction I'm going. I know what I want in life. I know what I'm trying to get out of it. I know that this is the way for me. And everyone else from the outside is like, what is that guy doing? Right? The fool. The fool walks a path with confidence and boldness, but it leads to death. See, that's the thing about the, the, the difference between the wise and the foolish in Scripture. The wise is a path that leads to righteousness because the wise path is the one that leads us to a relationship with God. The wise path is the one that leads us to intimacy and hope and peace and justice and mercy. The wise path is the one that leads us to life as God intended. But the foolish path, the foolish path is tempting. It looks good. It looks straight. Uh, Jesus calls it wide at times. It's a path that you can take, and it may be the easy road. It, It may be clear, like, this is the way I'm supposed to be going. This is the way that I want to go. This is what I desire in my life. I can just reach out and take it, and yet it leads to death. It leads to death. And this is the dichotomy, right? This is the comparison between these two things that Solomon wants us to understand is that there is a death that comes for all of us, right? He just said that in the last passage, in the sermon last week. Like all of us, one time our hearts stop beating, our breath stops breathing, and we will lie in a casket or in a jar on your aunt's shelf, whatever it is. It's coming for us. But the Bible also talks about the difference between a life and death with respect to our relationship with God. And the way that we live impacts that relationship with God. The way that we understand what life is impacts our relationship with God. And there is a path that leads us to a a relationship with God where he is our heavenly father, where he has brought us in as sons and daughters, where we are adopted by him and we are loved by him and we are uh, shown his mercy and his grace in a way that gives us life and allows us to pour life out into others. And then there is a path that is foolishness that says we do not need God. We go our own direction. We go our own way and we want to know the things that we want to know. We don't want to know anything else. We want the things we want and that's what we're going to seek after. We're going to hold them. We're going to grasp them and forget anything that God may have for us because we don't need it. And God becomes our judge. And we can see this in others, right? We can see when others are on that path, when they feel like they're on the road to the way that they want to go, when they're on the road, and we can look at others because we're really good about judging others, right? We're really good about seeing the, the discrepancy in people's lives. We're really good about seeing that like, yeah, like Bob, he's a really good husband, like he does some really cool things. Like he's, he's just caring and he talks so sweetly to his wife and, and he just seems to really honor her and care for her in ways that like, I wish I could do that. But then at work, Bob's a jerk, right? Bob is rude. He's, maybe he's a manager even and he just rude to his employees and, and he doesn't treat them well and he's always trying to, and that doesn't work, right? We see the discrepancy there. We see that, yeah, like maybe Bob's a good husband, but he's not a good person, Like, he should be a good husband, but also a good manager, a good employee. The the two things don't work, right? It's the same way. Like, maybe there's Betty. Betty is an amazing mom. She's so tender with her kids and generously, like, just giving her love to them and just cares for them and and speaks just, like, amazing truths to them in their their lives and and just wants them to be raised and, and cared for. And yet also, Betty's like a gossip, Right? She's always talking behind someone's back. She's always just telling the story about like, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And I bet they're probably like going to get a divorce. Like, did you see they changed their Instagram profile picture? And now it's like, you know, him with the kids and she's just doing selfies. Like, like it's just, Betty's not 
Betty's a great mom, but like maybe Betty needs to grow in how she thinks about other people. And that's what it looks like when we see the, the fool who's wandering this path. We, they think they're on the right course, but we can see from the outside that they're not. Right? The fool is the person that, that spends nights getting drunk and, and wakes up with bruises that they can't remember where they came from. The fool is, is the husband who, who forgets his wife and his family and commits adultery. The fool is, is the woman who thinks that all I need to do is get that raise, and then if I just have these things in my portfolio and this label on my shoes, then I'm going to be satisfied, then I'm going to be fulfilled, then I'm going to have everything that I really want out of life. The fool is the person that forsakes the relationship with God and pursues wickedness, right? Because that's ultimately what that is. It's idolatry. It's seeking after uh, everything that we want in life as though it's going to fill the void in us. It's saying that the things in this world, whether it's wealth or whether it's wisdom or whether it's all of these other things that Solomon has been talking about in Ecclesiastes, the fool says, those are the things that's going to give me meaning and purpose in life. And God says, no, like I created you in my image. I created you to know me and for me to know you. That is the longing that you have. That is the longing that you want to fill. That is the meaning and purpose of your life, to have intimate relationship with the creator of all things and with other people around you. And your sin has caused you to be self-centered and selfish and neglectful to the things that I've made you to experience to the full. And God looks down upon all of us throughout all time and sees this problem. And he has mercy. He sees us, all of us, as the fools on the paths, not even well aware of what we're actually walking towards because it's the path to death. It's the path to death. And God says, I will give you an opportunity to turn to life. I will show you a new path. I will show you the direction for wisdom. I will show you the way to live in such a way that you will have the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the purpose and the meaning that I intended. And he does that through his son, Jesus, when he comes down and he lives and he walks among us and he performs miracles to, perform his, to show his divine power and he speaks to, to show his divine wisdom and teaches. And most importantly, he sacrifices himself to, to show his divine love for us. And through his death and resurrection, he gives us the opportunity to move from death to life and to walk a path of wisdom, to walk the path of righteousness, to walk the path where the ointment no longer smells like stinking, rotting, putrid bugs, but it's sweet. It's an aroma that comes off of us that, that pervades everything around us because we have a new joy, a new hope, a new peace in Jesus. He's shown us the path to walk, and it's narrow, and it's hard, and it's sacrificial, but it is a path to life. The fool is on a path to death. The wise is on a path to life. So what does the fool's life look like? As we dive into this passage, uh, Solomon's written this like Proverbs, right? Pithy statements for us to, to easily remember and be able to recall. It's, it's really, it's instructions on how we might live. And that is why Jesus came, that we could have life abundantly in him. And that's a, that's a eternal life. That is a life that also starts now when we put our faith in him. And so when Solomon, uh, he begins to give us instructions on what the lives of the fools look like, we also can, can read it through the lens of what then should our lives look like if that's the way the fool lives. I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. 
And the first is this, in verse 12, follow along. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Right, so if we're trying to live abundant life, we're trying to follow Jesus in a way that impacts us, that, that resonates in our hearts and souls outward into the people around us, the first way that we do that is with our words. Right? Our words matter. The things that we speak and say and even think matter. The words that we have is a power that we have to impact and influence other people. Think about what we're doing here this morning. 90% of what we do has words. Our songs have words. Our prayers have words. Our announcements have words. The Bible has words, and I'm speaking to you right now. Our words are powerful. It's how we connect to other people. It's how we encourage other people. It's how we build other people up. It's how we teach people, equip people, lead people. It's what we do to communicate with one another. And so if we're trying to lead people on the wise path, if we're trying to lead people to life, Our words matter. But that's not how the fool treats words. The fool treats words with carelessness. The fool just doesn't know how to shut up, to be honest. Right? And and we've known a lot of people, I mean, all of us have known somebody who just like talks a lot. Right? They just like talk a lot. They tell you about the movie they just watched. They tell you about what's going on with their family. Like maybe they're an open book or maybe they're just, you know, talking to nonsense. But they're just, they just don't really ever like stop talking. Maybe they'll listen and ask you questions too. But they just like to talk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of person that doesn't know when to shut up. Right? They, they just continue to, to speak in such a way that just continues to build on itself. And they just keep putting their foot in their mouth in a way that is... Well, it's gossip or it's rude or it's critical and it's, it's heart hurtful and harmful and, and, it, and it's bitter, right? And it's foolishness. It's the kind of person that just, they, they just don't know when to stop. Verse 20, it puts it this way. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Right? In other words, the reason that the, the person is wise, their words are valuable, is because they don't just say anything that comes to their head. Right? They don't just say anything that comes to their mind, and, and they, just, they don't just like, think things about other people and say that to other people. They don't just, just you know, assume things and share that. They, they think about what they say. They recognize that their words have power, but the fool doesn't do that. And so the fool, well, they're just willing to just talk about anybody. So if they're upset with their boss or they're upset with their their spouse, if they're upset with with somebody else around them, they're just going to talk to whoever will listen. And they're going to be critical. And they're going to be hurtful. And maybe they're going to be gossiping about that person. You know, they they really shouldn't have ever gotten that that job. He thinks he's a good manager. Like, are you kidding me? Like, back when we were doing the same job, he was lazy and his work was subpar. And like, he never should be in that position. No one even likes him, let alone wants to listen to him. And somehow when those things get spoken, they end up back to that person, don't they? Right, eventually the king, the boss, the teacher the spouse, the friend, here's what you said about them. We all know what that's like, I think. I think we've all heard like someone saying those things about us. Maybe we overheard them specifically or we had someone tell them, uh, someone who they said that to come to us and just let us know like, hey, like, 
you know, they don't, they don't really like you. They, they say these things about you, and maybe they're true or maybe they're not, but it's still hurtful, right? Like, we feel that. Our words have power. It's the power to, to build up and equip and encourage and lead people to life, or it's the power to tear down and destroy and lead to death. What Solomon is saying here is that the fool just, just leads themselves and others to death. The fool just doesn't know how to stop. Uh, James 3 puts it this way. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Right, what James is talking about is a context like we're talking about right now because we're gonna come to church on Sunday morning and we're gonna sing these praises and we're gonna say, oh, that's amazing, praise God, blessings on you and oh yeah, good morning, welcome, we're so glad to see you and all of these things and then Monday morning we're gonna go to work and we're gonna talk about how, how ridiculous Brenda is. Like, did you realize like she just wore that shirt to annoy me because I hate red and she always wears red and like, like whatever it is. That's not the way it's supposed to be, right? It's not supposed to have that discrepancy. It's, you can't choose life and death. Like what the Bible is telling us is, is that we need to choose the path to life. And what that means is that we're going to control our words because our words are powerful. They're meaningful. Right? And it's not just in that, right? It, it, keep going as we uh, look at verse 18. It's it's also our work. So it's our words, but it's also our work. It says, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Right? And it just don't just be distracted by the job. Right? Because I think a lot of times when we talk about work in, in church, especially, like we're thinking about our job. When maybe you're part-time at like the pizza place at Grand Canyon University. Maybe you're a big full-time like lawyer or CEO of some company. Like, and we get really focused on that being what, we're, what we think about as work. Right? And, and everybody that's ever been in school is also like trained to think this way, right? Like your work is what you do. Like that's the, the job that you're going to have, the position you're going to have, the title that you're going to have, and the things that you're going to do. And that becomes like your identity, right? Oh, like the first question you hear is like, hey, what do you do for a living? I just met you. What's your name? What do you do for a living? Right? Or what do you do for work? And the answer is your job. Right? That doesn't work for me. Like I hop on a plane and sit next to somebody and they ask me what I do for a living. If I want to have a conversation, I can't tell them, well, I'm a Christian pastor. So I talk to, about Jesus and tell people about Jesus. Like nobody wants to talk to me anymore. Right? It's headphones and a movie, which is usually what I do anyway too, but that's beside the point. But that's not our identity. Right? When we think about work, especially in this context, right, that example that Solomon is using, he's not even describing like one of our typical jobs. Right? Like, he's talking about a roof that needs to be fixed. Because if you don't fix it, it's going to leak. Right? If you just neglect it, like Cynthia was talking about the rafters in her announcements. I got a little worried. This is an older building. Like, we have monsoons coming in a few months. I want to make sure that these things don't shake too much. Like, I remember um, growing up, like, at one point, I had to go to my grandpa's house, like, for middle of July, um, and, and every morning, like, 5.30 in the morning, be at his house, because we had to do uh, patches on the roof, and trying to make sure that it wasn't leaking, and make sure that everything was good, because the monsoons were coming, right? These big rainstorms were going to come at the end of summer. They come every year, and we had to make sure that the roof wasn't going to leak, because if we didn't, then it would leak, and it would flood the house, or it would make all kinds of other damage, right? Cause all kinds of problems, and so every morning, we had to wake up and get into the 
get on the roof with a beating sun when it's already well over 100 degrees at five o'clock in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I don't want to do this. And it's hot. But we had to do it because if we did it, it would be terrible for his house, for his livelihood, probably for his finances, right? It would just cause all kinds of problems. That's what Solomon is talking about here. It's not just your job. All of us have work to do in our lives, and it's not just the job that we do. Because the reality is what happens, and for most of us, is our job becomes our identity, it becomes our focus, whether it's being a student or it's being a full-time whatever, you know, and, it, and that's what we want to do, that's what we spend all of our time doing, that's what we want people to know us by, that's what we think that, like, we can gain the income that we need and have the portfolio that we want or the retirement and the vacation homes and everything that we want to achieve and accomplish in life, it's going to come through our job. And so we put everything we can into that and he's a really good surgeon she's a really good lawyer and he's he's an amazing teacher and all of these things that we want these compliments come because of those things but we forget the work in our homes right physically literally emotionally spiritually right we have kids to raise or we have a relationship with a spouse like a husband or a wife that we need to tend to we literally have things in our homes that get neglected right whether it's trash or dishes or painting or the saggy roof like these are things that we're supposed to be focused on and we have to remember that the culture of the bible is different than the culture of our day right the culture of the bible was living in the context of most people were related like their jobs were related to farming and so there was times when you would really work hard. You would work really hard because you had to make sure that the seed was planted and, and everything in time because the rains were coming. And if you didn't plant the seed before the rains come long enough, then they would not be able to be watered. They might be washed away and they needed to germinate. They needed to get into that soil and they needed to have the rain come so they could start to grow. And then there was work to do, but it was less work, right? It was weeding and it was tending to and making sure there was enough water and, and praying, honestly, especially for Israelites because of where they're located. Farming's not easy. And then eventually the harvest would come and it'd be another big season of work and they'd buckle down and there'd be all these people coming and gathering and doing all these things to make sure that, to make sure that all of the harvest was collected. But there was also stuff to do at home. Right? They, they also had to make ta maintain their homes because if they didn't, no one did. There was no contractor that came by and was like, hey, Bill, how's it going to be this, that? Okay, can you fix this thing? No, like you just did it. Right? You made sure that the roof wasn't leaking. You made sure that the walls were there. You made sure that, that everything was in order in your home. That was part of your work. They weren't looking for identity in a job. They were human beings. They had families. They had lives. So we don't want to get distracted by, by work as this ultimate thing, that, this thing that we look to as like our identity, as our purpose, as our meaning. But we do want to be hard workers because there's a lot to do in our lives. And that has an impact. It has meaning and purpose, right? It has meaning in our community here. It has meaning in how we work to serve and love and, and, and work next to, alongside with, and for others in our community. Right? And then the last thing that Solomon highlights is our wealth. Right, so our words, our work, and our wealth. This is verse 19 I'm going to start in. It says, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Amen? Let's go home. This is the way to end this. Um, right, but what we have listed here again, remember, like, our wealth isn't just like, oh, he's rich, he's so wealthy. Like, our wealth for any single one of us in this room is just the resources that we have at our disposal. Right, so it's our money, it's our time, it's our skills, like uh, it's the things that we can do with, with what God has given us. 
And what we're talking about here, again, in this society, like bread is, is linked to laughter. Like bread brings joy. I mean, yeah, like Olive Garden breadsticks bring me a lot of joy because they're like ever ending. But the reality is we're talking about a culture where just to have like a full stomach was a blessing. Right, to be able to just eat day in and day out, have bread, which is the staple uh, for anything or for any meal for them, like to be able to do that is just, it's just a blessing. There's joy in that. And then also to have wine, like to have wine to be able to drink and, and it gladdens, right? It just gives them like an uplifted spirit because it's not just like water, it's something else. And, and you have these meals that you can share, like to have all of that. And then money is a tool. Right? Money is a tool that allows them to be able to buy things like perfume or, or to have all of those things to for whatever measure. Like, that is a blessing from God. We should, we should be praising him for that. And the truth is, is that we live in a culture that continuously compa- has us comparing ourselves to whatever's next. Right? Whatever that next level is for these types of things in our lives, that's what we really should be seeking after. Because even if we've like hit a, a certain level of, of status, a certain level of wealth, a certain level of, of resources in our own lives, well, there's somebody who has more. There's somebody who has something better. There's somebody who has something that, that really, if I just had that, that's the thing that I want, right? Like, I noticed this on social media. When I was in college, like, the ads were few and far between for Mercedes and all that kind of stuff. And, and like, all of a sudden, like, I hit a certain age, and Facebook and, and Instagram is, like, way off on what I do for a living because the ads are screwy, right? They're telling me that I need this kind of house and the, that I need to be on these kinds of vacations and that I need to do this kind and wear these kinds of clothes. And, like, like that is not... It's never going to happen. I'm a pastor. I'm not driving a Mercedes. Ever. Ever. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. Right? Because our wealth is not just the resources that we have for us to enjoy, though that's certainly a part of this passage, right? To be grateful and to be, to be thankful for what God has given us and to enjoy them, but also uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where, he, where the tree falls, there it will lie. Right? The idea is this. Like, like we have these resources that have come our way, right? The bread uh, that we, and the, the portions that we can share. Right? We should be generous with our wealth. We shouldn't just hold it and hoard it. Jesus t- tells this parable of a guy who has a banner crop, right? I mean, the best and most amazing crop he could ever imagine from his field. And he fills his silo with all this grain. And he plans to just kick back and relax and never have to work again. And that night he dies. He dies. It was worthless. He should have just shared it, given it away, sold it, done something with it. That's what we have before us. Right? It's a challenge to, to recognize that God has given us something, especially honestly, like in the United States. And I recognize like some of you, some of you are struggling. Some of you are struggling because in Phoenix, like hunger is a real thing and housing is crazy and it's hard to pay the rent and pay the bills and feed your kids. And there are some of you who work multiple jobs in order to do that. And I want to know about that. 
Like, I literally want to know about that. Like, if you can't do that, if you can't feed your kids, if you can't feed yourself, if you can't pay your rent, come and tell us or put it on a card because we have a benevolence fund to help you with those things. Because as a church, one of the ways that we see love move is physically meeting the needs of other people in our community, making sure that those things aren't true for us, right? And what I mean by us, because we want to see people helped. But the reality is, is that most of us don't have that same concern. Most of us aren't worried about when our next meal is, it's just where it's gonna be. Most of us understand that, yeah, like the housing market is expensive or, or this little change is different or, or I need to plan more for that like thing, but, but there's ways for us to, to do it, right? Financially and other ways. Right, we have the means that God has given us. We have homes with, with air conditioning and, and in the middle of summer, you get laying down at night and you're like, oh, I think I need another blanket. Like it's kind of chilly in here. Or, like all of those things. It's not true for everybody around the world. It's certainly not true for most people in scripture, right? Even the wealthiest, richest people in scripture would, le- would be living lives that we'd be like, nah, that's not so great. I don't think I want to be the king. I mean, yeah, I guess they like get to feast, but I, joy rides better than that. That's the reality of the world that we live in today, right? In our culture, there are real needs, right? That's what we're doing with Gem Foundation. There are kids in Uganda who are abandoned by their families because they have physical needs and because of uh, financial or spiritual or other reasons the parents cannot take care of them. And so the Gem Foundation is able to take them in and foster them and care for them, providing medical needs, uh, providing the, the medical care that they need for their needs and all kinds of things. And the thing that the kids are most excited about in a video, we're gonna show you in two weeks on Easter, is that they get their own beds. They are so stoked to just climb into their own beds because it's theirs. When we think about the way that we, we use the wealth that God has given us, whatever means it is, it's, to, it's first and foremost, like how do, we, how do we create a budget? How do we do things? How do we be wise stewards in order to be generous with it? Because God has given to us abundantly. Right? The path to death says, I need more. I need to, to hold it. I need to, I need to invest it. And this is, the, this is the wise way, right? Like this is what sounds good in our world. Like I'm gonna get the promotion. I'm gonna get more money. I'm gonna do more things. And, and I'm just gonna continue to build my nest egg, build my retirement account, build my house fund, like whatever it is. But I'm gonna do it all for myself. And I'm never gonna think about how do I give it away? How do I help people? How do I encourage people? How do I show them the path to life because the life that I found in Christ? Our words, our work, and our wealth. Jesus is calling us not to the path of death, but the path of life. The fool, the fool never thinks about what they say, is lazy and never does the things they're supposed to do, and is greedy and just continues to imbibe the things that they have. Jesus calls us to life. And in that life, we find fulfillment and purpose and meaning because he has come to show us life as it was intended to be and to have it abundantly. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise you for this day. And God, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather together again, to study your word that you've given us your word to, to study, Lord, to encourage us to build us up, to to guide us in the way that we live our lives. Father, we pray that you would uh, just continue to do so. Father, I ask that you would work in the minds and hearts of our people. 
God, that you would convict each of us in the ways that we need to be more careful and cautious with the words that we've used, maybe even repenting and going and confessing to others and, and asking for forgiveness for those who we may have hurt. God, I pray that you would encourage us to, to be uh, well aware of the work that we've put off, the things that we've been lazy in us, the things that we need to change, the things that we need to do better in, and that we would we do so wholeheartedly, Father. And I pray that you would help us to be uh, people with generous hearts, hearts that use our wealth to show the love of Christ to others around us in this city and around the world in a way that, that helps us to show that we do not put money or, or wealth or status or power or any of those things over the love of Christ that we've experienced. And it's in him that our identity is placed, God. It's through him that we've been transformed, that we've been forgiven, that we find love and we find life, Father. And we pray that we would live in such a way to show that to others around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.